right. Well, if you are joining us for the first time, you have come on a Providential Sunday. This is the last one in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is number 107, not sermons, just the questions of the Shorter Catechism. Number 107, we made it through to the end, assuming that I don't die before the end of this sermon. We made it through. Now, just as a way of reminding us of why we did that, it wasn't because the pastor is lazy and just didn't want to have sermon outlines to have to do. It was because that, that document, the Shorter Catechism, was written to instruct Christians in basic theology. What do we believe? And there's three main sections in the catechism, if you remember. So you have a general body of divinity. That just means, think systematic theology, big categories. Questions one through 38, that's like, what is the chief end of man? What is God? What is sin? Those kinds of questions. Then the second big section is the Ten Commandments and number, numbers 39 through 97, but it's also the, all what the law is and how we're saved and, and what does that mean for us? Can we keep the law? Can we not keep the law? And then the last section is the one that we've been in uh, here is the Lord's Prayer, numbers 98 through 107. And this, this document was written in the 1640s, and it was used throughout the English-speaking world for, for centuries just to instruct the people of God on what we believe about God. What does the Bible say about God? And it gives us a helpful baseline for theology. The reason for us to use it is for you to know there's a place to go for just those simple questions. Think about question number four. What is God? Because before you can even ask who is God, you have to ask what is God? Because we got to determine that God is a who. And then question number 11, what are God's works of providence? We're talking about that in Esther in the morning service, uh, ad nauseum, but we have a quick definition from Westminster number 11. Number 14, what is sin? We take that for granted so easily that everybody knows what we mean when we say that, but we need a clear and biblical definition. Or number 21, who is the redeemer of God's elect? There is a redeemer, well, who is it? Number 22, how did Christ, being the son of God, become man? I mean, that's a huge question. You notice that a lot of these questions, even questions 35, 33 through 35, what is justification? What is adoption? What is sanctification? We've been studying that on Tuesday nights, and these are questions that kids would ask, but it seems like well, as we get older, we either stop, we lose the desire to ask questions or we become so insecure, we don't want it to be known that I didn't already know the answer to that question. But these questions are a useful tool for us as Christians, that it's not dry doctrine, but it really is a warm, Christological set of questions and answers full of the good news of the gospel. How are sinners made right with God? And then after being made right with God, how do we live? What a helpful tool. Jesus being the focus of, of the whole thing. So let's go to the last question, number 107. What doth the, Lord, the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, teacheth us to take our encouragement and prayer from God only and in our prayers to praise him ascribing kingdom, power, and glory to him, and in testimony of our desire and assurance to be heard, we say amen. All right, so we'll break it down like we always do. 
just piece by piece. The first level is it teaches us to take our encouragement in prayer from God only. Now, the texts that are cited for that come from the book of Daniel. Daniel has a long prayer in chapter 9. We'll look at verses 4, 7, 8, 9, and then 16, 17, 18, and 19. So follow me. If you want to turn your Bibles, you can. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Verse 4 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See what Daniel's doing right there is saying, God, you keep your promises. That's who you are. That's why he can draw encouragement in praying a prayer of confession. Now look at verses seven through nine. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, meaning the Jewish people who are in exile at that time, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. So there's a confession of sin. And then look at verses 16 through 19. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God because your city and your people are called by your name. And you look at that prayer and you think, what am I doing when I'm going to bed and I'm praying? I need to be thinking like Daniel, <coughs> how he's praying. He starts his prayer of confession, describing, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's who you are even though I know we are guilty as sin and the truest meaning of that colloquialism, they are guilty as sin and they know that. But he also knows that God's mercy is more. Richard Sibbs, the famous Puritan, he said that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. And, and Daniel's appealing to that alone. He even says, not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Do this for your own sake. Daniel's not coming to God in prayer with any kind of uh, potential. Hey, if you respond to us, then we'll kick it into high gear, I promise. Man, I'll whip these sorry jokers into shape. Don't you worry about it. When we get back into the land, it's gonna be different, I promise, if you just give us a chance. He's not saying that. He's saying, do this because of who you are. And so in the connection to the catechism question, why do we close out the Lord's prayer in the way that we do for yours is the kingdom, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? 
that's the ground that we stand on. Our encouragement in prayer is not us, the offerers of prayer. Our encouragement in prayer is who God is, the receiver of prayer. That's where I draw encouragement, not from me, not from, okay, I gotta get myself right before I come in to pray, I'm gonna do a bunch of good things, or I'm gonna try these out, I'm gonna get the ball rolling in a lot of ways so I have at least something to tell God. That's what we do when we're going and asking our boss for something. Hey, I've shown some initiative in some of these areas and I'm asking you for a little bit of help on this thing. We don't treat God like that. None of our hope in prayer, none of our encouragement in prayer is rooted in us. It's rooted only in God for His is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And that's our great hope because who is He? He is the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's who He is. So that's where our encouragement has to be grounded. So we, if you notice, we kind of bookend, not we, the Lord Jesus bookends the Lord's prayer with the glory of God. Because if we don't have God that's glorious, then we really shouldn't be praying to him at all. We get nothing from it. We have no hope in it. We draw encouragement in prayer based on who he is, not because of how well we pray. He is the eternally sovereign king of all creation. He is all powerful and all sufficient. He is incomparably glorious. The fullness of faithfulness and goodness and tender mercy lies in him. And that's where I anchor all of it. Because my sin, I could say about my sin, the same thing that David said, or that Daniel said about the nation of Israel, that we deserve open shame because of our wickedness. We have sinned against you. We need forgiveness and mercy. And we know that we can ask for that because you are the God of steadfast love and mercy. And this God, he has commanded us to pray and instructed us on how to do so. So to anchor our prayers into anything else would really be foolish. So the, the ending of the Lord's prayer is so fitting. But we also, in that ending, we're, we're anchoring our encouragement in, as we pray. Why should we have any kind of encouragement as we pray? Well, it's because of who God is. But also, we're also saying that we need to, and we need to intentionally do, ascribe praise, honor, and glory to God as we pray. Look at 1 Chronicles 29. This is David praying in verses 10 through 13. The Westminster Divines also cited this passage. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly. So everybody's gathered together. David's the king. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father, meaning Jacob, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. Then you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. That condensed prayer right there, you do well to just recite that and then to just pray that over and over again. I would do, we would all do well. Our prayers should always ascribe 
glory and praise to God. And too often we neglect this. And there's two pretty obvious reasons why we neglect this in our own personal prayers. Number one is because we're, we're naturally so self-focused. When we think of prayer, all we do is think about needs. And if I don't have any needs, then I don't need to pray. If I'm not feeling anything painful or anticipating anything painful or even just uncomfortable, then I don't need to pray. So we're too self-focused, that's, that's true. But I think secondly, the biggest hindrance that we have is that we don't know enough about God to say true things for more than a couple of minutes. I mean, think about that. If you determined to spend as long as you could praying to God and just ascribing to him glory and honor that is worthy of who he is, how long would it take you before you were done? I mean, a handful of minutes, a handful of seconds. I mean, this is not to, to embarrass anybody. This is a, a call to encouragement. We need to dig into the scriptures to know who our God is so that we can speak like David just did. When he describes God, he says, blessed are you. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. You are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you. You rule over all in your hand are power and might. On and on. <clears throat> Saying true things about God. It's as simple as I can think to make it. Saying true things about God. That's just, a, that's what we do when we're ascribing glory and honor to him. Sometimes we limit that to just singing and singing on the Lord's day. But in praying, we should do that. Now there's a, there's an old but very useful uh, acrostic for prayer called ACTS, A-C-T-S. Pretty popular, lots of people know it. A stands for adoration, C stands for confession, um, T stands for thanksgiving, and S stands for supplication. So you adore God, and you confess your sins, you thank Him for what He's given you, and then you finally ask for things. But what I often do uh, is get together when I you know, meet with a guy, a young guy, or we're in a small group, whatever, is let's challenge ourselves for this week to just spend the bulk of our time in prayer on letter A, adoration. And then when we run dry on that, let's go find more things to adore God for in the scriptures. Because even when we go and consider our own lives, that would give us a whole lot to adore God for, what he's done for us, how he's blessed us, the way he's structured our, our lives and the circumstances around us. But we need to have infinitely true things to say about God. So how could we begin? Because being able to ascribe glory and honor to God, you look at some of the prayers like Solomon when he's opening up the temple that was torn down and being rebuilt in Ezra as we're seeing. But when he opens up that first temple, he prays in front of the people for, for so long, for chapters. And we could be praying to God for hours just about who he is. But where do we go to find that kind of stuff? Here's what I'd love to encourage you to do is when you can't think about that or when you run dry is go to the Psalms. Just go to the Psalms. The book of Psalms is, are largely prayers and they are uh, spoken directly to God. Go to the Psalms to read and to meditate and to memorize just true facts about God. This is theology proper. So theology with capital T. The theo meaning God, ology, the study of study of God, theology proper, and learn how to pray the Psalms 
back to God. Now, why we do that? There's three good reasons why. The Psalms are prayers themselves, and they're full of theology proper, meaning true things about God, and there's 150 of them. That'll keep you busy for a long time. And one of them has 176 verses. That one will bog you down for at least half a year, saying those true things about God. It, what it does is it grows your prayer life, it grows your knowledge of the Bible, but it will also do is grow your intimacy with God the Father, whom you're so thankful for. We, we not, we're not doubting that, but are we equipping ourselves to express that? So let me just give you an example. Turn to Psalm 36. I didn't put this on the slides, James, but Psalm 36, we're gonna do five through nine. I'm just gonna walk through us doing this. Psalm 36, five through nine. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. You can pray that directly to God as is, because it's true, and it will be true for you to say it. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. Again, you can pray that directly to God without having to edit it. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You could look at that and go, Lord, I'm taking refuge in the shadow of your wings. Forgive me when I take refuge somewhere else. Forgive me when I look to go outside of your wings for refuge, that I believe lies that there's refuge, there's safety, there's provision anywhere else. Forgive me for that. Bring me into the refuge of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. You could take that verse and say, Lord, I know that all the food in my refrigerator is from your hand. I know that all of the dollars in my bank account, the gas in my gas tank, is all from your hand. I take none of it for granted. It comes from your delights that I have provision. And then verse nine, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Do we see light? You can say, Father, for with you is the fountain of life. Everywhere else is just a dispensary of death. You have the only fountain of life. Everything else that says is that brings life or adds to the good life is a lie. Father, forgive me for believing that I could find life or contributions to vitality anywhere else but with you. And show me that in your light, I see light. I can't even discern what light is because my eyes are so foggy. I need your light to show me light. I mean, take those just handful of verses right there and then you're praying and you're saying true things back to God. And that's just one portion of one Psalm. I mean, the Psalms aid our prayer lives so magnificently. <clears throat> and then the last phrase of question 107 is that there is a desire, our desire and assurance of being heard is capped with the amen. So look at these verses. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 16, the divines cited this one and said, otherwise, that says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone, position, anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So that verse is in the context of the Corinthian church having very chaotic, disordered worship 
and people are praying and nobody knows what you're saying. It's in a different language, what's going on. And so they're like, well, if you're praying in that way, how can somebody else who's not from this town or from your, your uh, language group say amen? How can they amen you? We'll explain what amen means here in a minute. But look at Revelation 22. This is the last verses of the whole Bible, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things, that's John, who's wrote the book of Revelation. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. You ever wondered why we say amen at the end of prayers or how it became a thing? I mean, even the most secular of people will say amen when they agree with something. It's kind of interesting, but it comes straight out of the scriptures. Amen. At the end of prayers, we've spoken our peace to God and now we're done. So our amen is, and let it be, or, or, or let it be so. I, I agree with you. I've spoken everything that I intend to say, but my amen is, let it be so, but it's also a submission to your will because that's not what we pray in the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So even if the requests don't go the way that I think that they should in my limited and finite mind, I'm still praying, amen. We want whatever God does. Whatever he does, that's what we want. We agree with whatever God does. That's the amen, is the confirmation of that. Every time we say that at the end of the prayer, <coughs> that practice, that's tuning our hearts to God's stated will, which we have in the scriptures, but it's also submitting our hearts to whatever happens in our lives as his revealed will. His stated will, what he says he will do, what he says that he is, and then his revealed will, it's whatever that actually exists, our amen says, this is what we want because you have done it, God. We submit to it. Think of, think of Job who can say, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's his amen. He, he gave to me before. He took it away now. Either way, this is God's will. So amen. Let it be so. May it be so. So we're here at the end of the shorter catechism. And we only know how to pray this way because the Lord Jesus Christ took it upon himself to instruct his people on how to pray. Something that seems so basic, he was so loving and so gracious to tell us how to pray, to give us a model. I mean, think of what he's done. He ushers us into the kingdom, the household of God. He makes us brothers and sisters. He makes us his brothers and sisters, adopted brothers and sisters. And then as we come into the new house that we live in, where we have a new meal that we eat every, every week with our brothers and sisters in the presence of our father at his table, big brother pulls us aside, big brother who earned the righteousness that we needed to get in the door, gave it to us, took our sin, pulls us aside and says, hey, just so you know, this is how you need to talk to our father. He's our father and he's in heaven. His name is to be hallowed. His will is to be glorified. He does care about your needs, even your daily bread. 
but he also insists that we forgive because you've been forgiven, haven't you? And he does care about your life and the pain that could come through sin and pain. So, so ask for that. For yours, his rather, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's not a, he's telling us that graciously, that we're brought in. It's not about you. It's about the heavenly father. But he loves you so much, he's given you unfettered access to him through the death and the resurrection of his son. And that's where we stop. Let me pray for us. <coughs> Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know that your kingdom is going to come and we want it to come. We know that your will is always going to be done because no one can stop you, but we pray that we would be complicit in your will. We want to follow your will. We want it to be in our church as, as like heaven as possible, where there is no rebellion against you, there is no hesitancy or reticence towards your commands, your word, your truth. We thank you that you provide for our daily needs and we ask for it every day. May we um, run from the pride that says there's things that we do for ourselves and big things we take to you. No, we even need down to the breadcrumb. If you don't provide it, then we don't have it. And Lord, we thank you that there is great forgiveness to be found, that we have been forgiven once for all. Everyone who has repented of sins and trusted in Christ has been forgiven once for all, and that there is an unending bottomless well of forgiveness and mercy for all of your children because we know that we continue to sin afterwards and father may those sins never entail a a uh, lack of forgiveness towards each other but we know that it doesn't mean that consequences don't happen and that uh, circumstances don't change relationships don't um, morph in certain ways but may we not think that we are owed more than you by withholding forgiveness. And Lord, we ask that you would keep us from temptation, deliver us from evil. It lurks around us at all times. And we want to exalt you and ascribe glory and honor to you because yours is the kingdom, not ours. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And it's forever. It's eternal. And to that, we say, amen. We ask that that would be done. We long for your will to be done and we long to be those that more readily and more quickly submit to it everywhere we see it and everywhere that it happens. Thank you, Father, for your grace and for your goodness and for your mercy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.